limited questions. Uh, is what's your favorite? Insert whatever thing here. So we're we talking about books or movies or music or people. <laughs> I've always found, when I'm comfortable trying to ask this question, um, just this weekend, my own dear children, um, in a fit of silliness, asked me, Mom, who's your favorite child? On this occasion, I answered, oh, that's easy, kids. What was my answer, Ed? Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I actually said, your father. Uh, yes. Doesn't matter. Still rude. Other possible res responses, because this is a question that's come up on occasion. I think most parents have experienced this at some point in time with their children. Um, other possible responses, the Christ child. Because, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the answer is always Jesus, isn't it? I get squirming when I get pushed to ask uh, the favourite question, um, not related to my kids because they're just being silly, but about other things. Um, because my very analytical brain immediately starts considering all of the possible variables. <laughs> What's my favorite song right now? How much is my current mood affecting my favorite song? Or are we talking about my favorite songs of all time? Um, how do I decide that? Is it about what I actually listen to most and keeps coming back to? Or is it stuff that I really appreciate for how skillfully it's written or how easy it is to sing along? And perhaps most importantly, Will other people think that my answer is cool or will they judge me for um, it? There are so many things to consider, especially if you are me. So instead of just answering this invariably inane question that's intended just to make conversation, um, it becomes this complex anxiety-fueled matter of great importance, which is probably why I dislike small talk as a rule <clears throat> and try to avoid it at all costs. When it comes to music and books, I've never been particularly great at playing favourites. This evening, our scripture comes from James 2. And James immediately gets to the heart of his message with his opening words of the chapter. Brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Christ must not show favoritism. Or in the NRSV, it poses this as a question. Brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? James is speaking into a community that as is so often the case, too often the case, had become fraught with division, mistrust, and judgment. We don't know the exact cause of the fracturing in that community, although given the pointed nature of some of the examples that James uses to unpack this, it's not hard to get a picture of social, political, ethnic, financial, and educational divisions. 
the same divides that lead to prejudice and discrimination right here today in our own midst. James calls this community back to the heart of Jesus' message. God's love doesn't play favourites. There's no room for favouritism in the kingdom of God. It isn't, God's love is not dependent on our social status, our political ideologies, the money in our bank account, or the letters that follow our name. Over the past couple of years, um, globally, uh, nationally here in New Zealand, and even right here in our church community, we've found ourselves face to face with division judgment, prejudice, and an intensity I'm not sure any of us expected in And over the past few weeks, we've found ourselves again in the midst of circumstances that raise all kinds of questions, hurt, betrayal, and confusion. The potential for division, for misunderstanding, the temptation to rush to judgment, or assign blame, is Words and James are hard to hear and resolve. And it would have been tempting to just talk about something else. But this is where we are. So as we begin unpacking these words, I ask you and invite you to pray with me um, as we as we look through this together. Me and my daughter, let's pray. Stumble. I can't speak for anyone else, but where it causes me to stumble 
as the extension of that same expansive and closer embracing love towards others. The most challenging theological truth that I've ever had to wrestle with is not how God can allow suffering, though that's hard, like Calvinism versus Arminianism, for theology students in the house. How we should understand gender or sexuality through a biblical lens or whether women should preach. Though my opinion on that last one is probably pretty clear. <laughs> um, the truth that I think is hardest for our hearts to hear and most difficult for others when they look at, at, at what Christians believe is this. God's love does not discriminate. Does not rejoice in wrong, but it offers itself to everyone. God loves, that is, values equally, people that I look down on. God loves, listens to, and considers with the same attention that he gives to me, people that I disagree with, people that I think I'm smarter than, if I'm honest. God loves every person who has ever hurt me. God loves people who hate me. God loves people who judge me. God loves people who have done awful, terrible, very bad things. And when it comes down to it, that is hard. And so many people, it's downright offensive. God loves me just as much as God loves you. God loves you just as much as God loves me. And I'm pretty comfortable with that. I think, you know, given we all know each other, we're all probably reasonably comfortable with that at least. But if we take Jesus seriously, it doesn't end there. God also loves bullies, domestic abusers, murders, and those who have instigated genocide. And what's more, God calls us to love others with that same Now, most of us don't have 
So I don't personally know anyone who's directly responsible for perpetrating genocide. You know? So on a daily basis, I can hold that truth that God loves them at a bit of a safe distance without getting too uncomfortable. But when we dial this back and consider what it means for us to love, not just sort of like or tolerate, but to treat others with the same respect and dignity that I believe I deserve, when I hope good things for them, in the same way I hope good things for myself, to show kindness to even someone I disagree with on a subject that I care about really deeply, or to treat someone who has hurt me or someone I love with fairness and compassion, that is hard. James pleads with the community that he's writing to, saying, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is not the merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I was recently listening to an episode of um, Kate Bowler's Everything Happens podcast. And she was in conversation with um, Malcolm Gladwell, who's a journalist, and she read a bunch of books. And they were talking about <coughs> the, the podcast episode was called Can People Change? Um, and Gladwell had this to say. They were, talk, they were, they were talking about um, an idea in psychology known as the illusion of asymmetrical insight. The illusion of asymmetrical insight. And Gladwell had this to say about it. He said, when we analyze our reasons for doing things, our own behavior, we are incredibly attentive to nuance and complexity. But when it comes to explaining other people's behaviors, we tend to be very reductive. We are perfectly capable of acknowledging complexity of ourselves even while we deny it and abuse others. Now we all do this to some extent. Um, we interpret others' actions through our own life's lens. We make judgments about others' motivations or about their intent. And the more that we do this, the greater the divide that springs up between us. Tensions simmer closer and closer and closer to the surface. Trust erodes and judgment triumphs within yourself. And we are no longer willing to make room for each other. This is not the way of Jesus. Mercy, not judgment, should shape our actions towards others. Discrimination, prejudice, flow out of judgment. Seeing ourselves as better, seeing ourselves as the person who can judge what's right and what's true. When we lose the ability to listen to one another, really listen, and acknowledge how we feel each other, God's mercy triumphs over judgment always. 
before the judgment with Abraham blessed God's mercy trials over judgment with us. God's mercy trials over our judgment of others. It's a long service to God that we can put down the stones. Now there is a danger here, and I would really like to know Extending love without judgment does not mean ignoring legitimate criticism, avoiding consequences for our actions, or standing in the way of just consequences. Love is not a free pass for that. But regardless of our actions, even when we have done wrong, love holds us. Even as we experience real consequences. Um, as most of you know, um, Jacob and I were a part of a um, planting session and then we disappeared away um, for about eight years um, before coming back. And during that time we were involved in, um, at the time we called it a church plant, but it was really a community ministry working um, in um, well, Roger Hunga area. And uh, during that time, over the, over the years, we connected with um, a lot of different people. And some of those people were experiencing consequences, um, some very real consequences for some very objectively bad moral wrong choices. You know, messes, messes of their own making um, and experiencing some real consequences as a result of that. Um, but our role in holding people was never about passing judgment, but always about showing love. Because even when someone's gotten themselves into a pretty terrible place, our role was never to judge them for the past choices, but to hold them in love as they attempted to face that. Um, I remember in particular a day um, with someone that we connected with uh, whose car was being repossessed just as they were about to be um, evicted from the home. Um, they were intending to live on the car after eviction and they basically were at the absolute rock bottom. Um, regardless of how they got there, I could feel nothing but sadness and compassion for them in that moment. Um, as they were absolutely devastated by this one more, one more loss, one more pain. Love holds us, even as we experience real consequences. And I have to say that sometimes extending that love to others is actually easy and instinctive, and we don't even, in that instance, it didn't for a second have an instinct to do anything else but love that person. But sometimes it is hard, and we have to take a step back. 
Sometimes it's uncomfortable to face the places in ourselves where maybe we've held judgment over others. Um, it's hard to bring the places in us that feel more broken and wounded and to trust others. But if we want to find our way back to each other so that we can hold each other, then we need to be that more. And we need to be so I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray.
without being bored. Nothing is strong. Nothing is whole. Your integrity challenges us. You will call awaken our desire until the darkness and light within us, the mornings and evenings of the heart, are reconciled in your face and temple. Thank you. 